Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Yep, live across the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com, where you will find, well, everything that's related to the show, including the links to our social media, where we simulcast the radio show every morning on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch, and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and uh, more stuff, uh, including the podcast uh, and more, which is available, by the way, on uh, CastBox, Stitcher, Air, iTunes, Google Play, and, of course, Spotify, our favorite. Also broadcasting live across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator, Monday. Yay. I mean, I'm excited about it, aren't you? Sorry, that was my excited voice. Uh, good morning and welcome to the program. All right, so what <clears throat> what have we got for you today? Well, we got uh, quite a bit, uh, quite a bit of things going on this morning. Oh, do we have some weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth about our good friend Donna Ardwin? Uh, that's that's going to be great. Uh, we've got some discussions on how things are really settling out in the new House majority and the uh, and the uh, uh, some of the committees, including this new bill from Andy Josephson. Um, maybe, just maybe, we will be. Uh, uh, maybe we'll hear a little bit about this this morning from uh, some of the people in the know. Uh, we'll talk about that. Uh, Governor Dunleavy wants to uh, extend Medicaid coverage for new mothers. It's for the best of intentions, but at the same time, we've already got a third of the population on Medicaid. And I'm just asking, is that a good idea? I mean, really? Is that a... I'm just... I'm, I'm asking for a friend. Can you tell me? Plus, Justin Ruffridge <clears throat> has... Um, Oh, he's uh, he's a mover and a shaker in the uh, in the house. Uh, so much so that he has created his own caucus. Um, not exactly sure what's happening there, but uh, we'll we'll figure it out. Maybe sometime in this next week or so, we'll get a chance to talk with him and see what uh, see what he has to say about that. The school bus driver strike and more. Then in hour two, we'll get a chance. To talk with uh, Representative Will Stapp from the Interior. He's going to come on board, and we're going to talk about uh, uh, we're going to talk about everything that's going on in the legislature. His thoughts on it. What uh, you know? What's it like to be a freshman legislator? And what he sees as some of the biggest issues uh, coming up for uh, this year. So buckle up. Buckle up! This is the uh, this is it. This is the this is 
the good stuff. It's, I, I just feel so full of it this morning. I just got to be honest with you. I am just feeling it like uh, I'm, I'm just, lots of stuff going on. Um, how was your weekend? I suppose we could start there, huh? Uh, I mean, how was your, how was your weekend? Let's not push all the buttons that are not supposed to be pushed this morning. Uh, what, what are you, uh, what are you feeling? What are you thinking? What do you say? What do you know? Let's, uh, let's get into that and figure it out. And, uh, you know, how, how was it? Mine was good. I had a great weekend. It was, well, you know how it is sometimes when you got uh, stuff that you know you have to do around the house. Like, you know, you can see it as you're sitting on the couch. You can see, you know, a mess across the room or something. Things that you need to, you know, stuff you got to put away. And But you're t- uh, just, you just want to relax, but you feel guilty. Well, I took care of all that stuff last week. I had a bunch of honeydew stuff that I got done. And so this weekend I was sitting on the couch going, wow, but I don't really have to do anything. Thing. Oh, it was relaxing. It was just really, really relaxing. We got there. We got it all done. So I feel like uh, it was a pretty good, pretty good weekend. Pretty good, uh, pretty good weekend. Always too short, always, but uh, we'll get through it. This will be a fast week and then we'll get a chance. Uh, we'll get a chance to uh, enjoy it uh, again, coming all up on a good Friday. Uh, this week, though, we're going to do some deep dives on some stuff, and I'm looking forward to seeing what's going on. So we're going to continue on here. All right. So where do we start? Oh, I want to start in so many different places. I guess we'll I guess we'll start uh, by talking uh, first and foremost about the governor's new plan to uh, extend Medicaid coverage. Uh, he uh, it was. Announcing uh, it was announced on Friday, the governor has got a bill that uh, would extend Medicaid coverage for new mothers from 60 days to 360 days. That was a pledge that he made during his last uh, state of the state address last month. Uh, And he was talking about mental health care for new mothers in a key uh, as a key factor in preventing maternal deaths. Um, the statement read, many women who experience postpartum depression don't have an onset of symptoms until after that initial screening, which is too late to seek treatment with Medicaid coverage. Nearly 16% of women in Alaska who experience uh, perinatal uh, depression or anxiety between 2015 and 2020 indicated that they could not access the needed treatments or support due to challenges with insurance or cost. He said he wanted to make Alaska the most pro-life state in the country last month, an act that would require support for parents as well as children. 36 other states have already extended their Medicaid coverage for new mothers, according to Ann Zink, under a provision in the Federal American Rescue Plan Act that allowed them to voluntarily do so. The state law requires the Alaska legislature to authorize voluntary Medicaid coverage before implementation. Uh, This is the same kind of thing that Governor Walker did in his, again, this is one of those optional programs that we heretofore have not participated in. The cost of that, $2.6 million a year. That's what they're, that's the preliminary estimates, the preliminary estimates of $2.6 million a year. And uh, the American Maternal 
mortality rates are the highest in the developed world and are worsening. Uh, between 2018 and 2020, eight Alaskans died while pregnant. And in 2013, a bulletin previously reported by USA Today noted 13 deaths between 2000 and 2011. So I guess we should break this down for just a second. <clears throat> because I know the moment that you speak out against this possibility, you are probably going to be labeled as... Well, why do you hate women? Why do you hate women and mothers and newborns? And why do you hate all? To which I will answer, I don't. I don't hate any of those things. I do not hate any of those things. But I guess my question becomes, is it the state's responsibility to do those things? Is it, I mean, again, we already live in a state where we take almost every optional Medicaid and Medicare program out there. And is this really the is this really the way to go? Is this really what we should be doing? Now, <clears throat> many will say, well, sure, of course, because we love the and it's only two point whatever million dollars and it's all I mean, in the terms of a six or seven billion dollar budget, what's two point six million dollars among friends? The problem is if we don't start if we don't start cutting and restraining spending when we can, then it, you might as well just throw your hands up in the air and say, whatever, take care of all of it. Not that this is not a not that this is not a very um just cause not that this is not something that is very you know good and important but i think the question that we should continually be asking ourselves is is it the government's responsibility to do these things and that's the that's the hard question it is a hard question there's no there's no doubt about it um because nobody wants to see anybody die Nobody wants to see anybody, uh, you know, be left, I guess, left behind um, or left without care or or, you know, whatever the whatever happens here. But under that under that argument, then the government could be responsible for everything in your life. And while I sympathize and uh, <clears throat> and and believe in the governor's plan to make Alaska, you know, a supremely pro-life state, because I am definitely a pro-life person, I guess I'm wondering if by including and creating more government dependency, if that doesn't, if that's not counterintuitive to what we're uh, you know, the overall plan of what we're trying to do. Right. I mean, I, I, I kind of got to ask the question. Um, and it's interesting. The Alaska Beacon is the one that is pulling out these the numbers and everything else. Uh, the the and Zinc was the one that talked about the mortality rates. 
that America in general has the highest maternal mortality rates in the developed world. Um, so in a, in a two-year period, eight Alaskans died while pregnant. That includes the pandemic era, 18 to 20. And a 2013 pre, uh, uh, previously noted 13 deaths between 2000 and 2011. Okay, so since they included the numbers in this article, excuse me while I get down into the nerdy details for a second. Statistically, the statistical nerdy details, all right? So between 2018 and 2020, and does it actually show me the breakdown by year? Because that is, oh, here it is right here. Uh, because that is uh, eight people in a two-year period, which would be four people. Let's uh, see, Alaska had eight people. It just doesn't, it doesn't break it down as to where it came from or what. It's just a raw number. So there's no year breakdown or anything else. Um, but not knowing whether or not the pandemic was involved in that, let's go back to the previous number, which is 13 deaths between 2000 and 2011. That's basically 1.1 deaths per year for 11 years, right? Something like that. Which, again, each one is tragic. And I, I don't want to, I, I don't want to undersell that. Those are all a tragedy. But if you're talking about one death amongst 700,000 people each year, but at the cost of $2.6 million per year, not a great return on investment. I mean, as far as from a raw, just just looking at it, the cold, hard, cruel statistical facts uh, that, uh, you know, because we don't have a heart, because we hate children and women. But by that, by that argument, I mean, there are plenty of things out there that we could use help with at $2.6 million a year to essentially stop the death of one person. Again, each one a tragedy, each one not good, but I guess the big question that I keep asking is, is it government's responsibility to deal with these things? Or should we not be engaging the private sector? Should we not be engaging the, you know, the, the faith-based initiatives? Should we not be engaging, you know, all these nonprofits that are out there working for the uh, for the mental health of the I mean, are there not organizations that, you know, is it their responsibility? I, I mean, as as volatile as the subject matter is pregnant or, you know, perinatal women, women who are postpartum. Is it? The government's responsibility. To which I would answer, no, it's not. That doesn't mean that I want to see these people suffer or be in pain or to die. It doesn't mean any of that. It just means we need to find another solution instead of looking to the big, big bad government for all the answers. For all the answers. That's what we need to do. In my Humble opinion.
All right. We got to go. We're going to continue with more here in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We will be back with more right after this. Don't go anywhere. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay. Well, that was, you know, I mean, that's a difficult subject to tackle first thing in the morning like that. But, you know... I just saw the headline, and then I was reading the article, and I'm just like, this is all well and good, but that's not really what we're supposed to be doing, right? I mean, that's not really the purpose of government. Uh, but 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 the general welfare clause, the, the general welfare clause. Yeah, I know. Exactly. That's what they'll say, health and general welfare clause. But that, again, if you try to apply it there— the government would be involved in every in everything. I just people are going to say you don't like mothers and children. Welcome to the party, pal. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I'm hoping you might call in here in just a few minutes to uh, talk more about this, because uh, to talk more about some of this other stuff that we've got to talk about. Um. All right. I'm scrolling backwards here. Sore. Spent a day digging out my trailer after the roof ran something. Nice quiet weekend with the family, Sid McHale. Too cold outside, so we watched movies. Oh, was it? Um, Justin Ruffridge's Trouble. All right. I'm not even mad. Facebook didn't send me. uh, I'm not even mad. Facebook didn't send me the notification 12 minutes late. I'm just amazed I got one. (laughs) All right. Government busted health care. So they do. Okay. So Chris says Chris's answer is government busted the health care. So they do have a responsibility. Um, I would argue that the more that they meddle, the more busted it's going to be, and we're never going to extricate ourselves from it. They may have busted it. You were, you, I would not necessarily disagree with that. But to then say they have the responsibility to fix it, that's like you know the monkey that you gave the crescent wrench to that beat the hell out of everything. You're like, well, let's just, he messed it up. He's got to fix it. He's a monkey with a wrench. He has no idea what he's doing. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Um, um, the problem isn't $2.6 million a year. The problem is that healthcare in this country has become inaccessible to the lower and middle classes. In a world that made sense, it wouldn't require a new mother to remortgage her home just to see a doctor. I agree with that as well. But again, adding to the adding to the overall, you know, scope of things. Still a problem. 
Okay. Um, uh, okay. Oh, damn. Anthony is even more savage than I am. The cruel calculus of reality. If the average mortality is only one person per year, odds are no matter the amount of money thrown at the issue, that one person is still going to die. Again, if you want to get into the cold, cruel statistics, yes, I mean, this is why when we talk about firearm stuff, we try and talk about the actual numbers instead of the emotional damage, uh, you know, component of it, because that's that's where we're at. The same kind of thing. Um, uh, I'm hearing conflicting reports about whether or not the Chinese weather balloon even drifted over Alaskan airspace. Well, everybody said it did, but, you know, there you go. Um, all right. Well, wire first doctors, never trust the Chicoms. Good morning. Uh, good analogy. We have a bunch of monkeys trying to fix things. I mean, yeah, you gave them a bunch of monkeys with sticks, and then what happened? You know, a bunch of monkeys with sticks have broken the machine, and you're like, well, just, they they broke it. They've got that. Let them keep going. Mm, I, I don't want to die. I'm capable of working. No ailments prevent me working at the state of Alaska. is more than willing to pay me to sit at home, collect their checks. Help me, big brother. I don't want to die. Give me that shot. First one. Save me. I don't want to die. I don't, I don't want to die. Nah. I think there's a component of that, but all right. Let's... Um, Let's get back into it. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show. Okay, welcome back to the program. The Michael Duke Show continues. Um, just somebody in the chat room, uh, Chris in the chat room said that, uh, you know, government busted the healthcare system, so they do have a responsibility to take care of all these people. And my analogy was, it's like you gave a monkey a, uh, you know, a pipe wrench and he just broke everything. And then you're like, no, no, wait, he's got, he's got a responsibility to fix this, so just... Let him keep swinging that thing. Right? And then somebody said, the analogy is more like a monkey broke it with the wrench, so then we sent it a dog with a screwdriver to fix it. I mean, I agree the healthcare system in this country is busted, but I would make the argument that it's busted because of the governmental intervention. Right? And the expectation that the same monkeys who broke it are going to be the same monkeys that fixed it is, uh, I think, uh, problematic, to say the least. Let's just say that. All right, some of the other stories that are going on. Justin Ruffridge. That guy's got a really big caucus. That's what, that's what Must Read says. Representative Ruffridge announces he has a big caucus. 
Justin Ruffridge tried to be named the House Speaker pro tem at the beginning of the session. That didn't happen. Then he tried to become House Speaker, and that, too, didn't happen. Now he says he's looped in 17 members in the into the House into something he is calling a freshman caucus. It's like the Bush caucus, only for people who've only been there a hot minute. He has been raising eyebrows. This is Suzanne Downing. He's been raising eyebrows since arriving in Juneau for his unorthodox moves. He has Democrat Andrew Gray of Anchorage alongside him as co-chair of the caucus. Gray is one of the most progressives of the uh, uh, of the folks in there, known for his stances on the Anchorage Assembly, representing the UMED district in Anchorage. Ruffridge represents Soldatna. Ruffridge said anyone in the House who has not served in the legislature until this year is welcome to join. That's a pretty exclusive club. I mean, but it does mean that Craig Johnson and Dan Sadler, who have passed in the past served the legislature, are not eligible. Uh, They're not welcome. So this brand new caucus, Ruffridge is, I mean, he's he's making a move of some kind. I don't know exactly what, but uh, he's making a move. Um. He said that our purpose in this caucus will be to discuss ideas, debate policy, and share those issues most important to the constituents who encompass districts from all over the state. Mostly, we will continue to build on great working relationships. After he announced the formation of the Freshman Caucus, whose actual number is uncertain and likely fluid, the Democrats all pounded their desks enthusiastically, including Louise Stutes, who banged the desk as loudly as she used to bang the gavel when she was the majority leader under the Democrats. It appears that there's not 17, but only 12 participants in the caucus. Of the 17 who would be included, eight are Democrats, seven are Republicans, with the other two being the the independent Democrat loyalists, which would mean 10 and 7. That puts Ruffridge in charge of a Democratic majority group. And, and, and of course, it's the caucus meetings will not be open to the public. He uh, he is creating some chatter amongst the longtime Capitol observers. But we'll see whether or not this goes anywhere. Next time we have him on the program, we'll ask him about it. Because, I mean, you know, uh, just interesting ideas. The freshman caucus, the freshman. Uh, uh, he's making a move, making a move of some kind. Make it a move. And then we come to the latest hot-button issue. So much so that the ADN has now written about it again. Donna Ardwin is back in the Capitol. They snap a picture and they, uh, they snap a picture of her in a hearing meeting and uh, they're like, oh my gosh. She was uh, the face of the $1 billion budget cut, and she was sacked in 2019 because, you know, and they go on to talk about how Ben Carpenter, Representative Ben Carpenter, has stayed in touch and hired her to work as a policy advisor in Juneau. Now, he is the chair of the House Ways and Means Committee, which has been charged with creating a long-term fiscal plan for Alaska, which is good news because that's part of the fiscal policy working group. I mean, it's good news there. Um, But they, boy, there's some hand-wringing going on here. There is some serious hand-wringing going on over the fact that Arduin is there. Conservatives applauded her for her pursuit of balancing budgets without new revenues, but she has drawn criticism 
for an apparent indifference to the impacts the deep cuts would make to social services. This is going to be a continuing theme, and I have, I, I find this hypocrisy just hysterical. Um, in Alaska, she has been a symbol. This is the ADN. In Alaska, she's been a symbol for right-wing legislators who want the largest permanent fund dividend possible. Who want the largest permanent fund dividend possible. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. I just don't fathom it. Yeah, it's only because we want the largest dividend possible. That's why we want paid for with vast budget cuts and no new taxes. Um, now, not everybody is thrilled that she's down there. And, of course, anybody who's been following this will not find it surprising that the one person who is definitely not thrilled is the walrus. I mean, Sitka Republican Senator Bert Stedman, who is co- chair of the Senate Finance Committee during the most volatile budget fights with the Dunleavy administration. <laughs> this, excuse me, I'm having a hard time saying this with a straight face. Here's the quote. Stedman said there was no analysis by Ardwin about the impacts of the cuts being proposed by the governor. There was no, there was no analysis about the... Um, can I ask you a question, Bert? Have you done a single, single study analysis about the impacts of the PFD cuts over the last six or seven years? Have you done a single analysis as you plunder the permanent fund dividend and affect the lowest 80% income earners in the state of Alaska to a tremendous... Have you done a single... Has there been a single analysis discussed on that no shut your pie hole <laughs> but this is the quote i mean this is unironic folks i mean this is he's saying this with a straight face stedman said there's no analysis by ardwin about the impacts of the cuts being proposed by the governor he said ardwin wasn't the right fit for alaska quote the economic damage that was left behind we're still cleaning cleaning it up what economic damage the budget by the time that was all said and done in 2019 was actually 85 million dollars higher the i mean all the stuff that was proposed and everything the cuts didn't really happen And then he chastised. He go. This is. Can you just see the the walrus with this thing? He says. Stedman said Ardwin didn't have the right skill set to work as an aide for the Joint Committee, the Joint Legislative Budget Budget and Audit Committee. Uh, but he declined to say whether he protested her working there. He said he'll be fine with her working for the Ways and Means Committee because it's a House committee. It's a House committee. I can I can just do that. I can just do that. The backslap at the show, though, is pretty funny. Since her ouster from Dunleavy's office, Ardwin has catch, kept in touch with Alaskan politics while living in Michigan. She's periodically, sorry, she's periodically called into right-leaning Alaska radio talk shows, 
and has continued to advocate for large dividends, spending cuts, and no new taxes. Is that what I am? Am I a right-leaning? Maybe she's calling other people, too. She may have been calling Fagan. I have no idea. But, I mean, it's only because we're the right-leaning shows, not the left. How many left-leaning Alaska radio shows are there out there? I'm, I'm just asking for a friend. It's it's just we have to find a solution. I mean, they at least end the story on a good note that basically said, look, we've got to find a solution for what's going on. But this hand wringing and the disdain, the disdain that Stedman has over this whole thing. I mean, and again, in the absolute blatant hypocrisy of him saying, well, there's just no analysis. She didn't make any analysis about the impacts of the cuts. Okay, so we're just going to cut the dividend and have been doing it since 2016. Uh, what are the no impacts? You didn't. I mean, ICER said it was the large had the largest negative impact of all the levers that you could pull. That would be the one that would be the worst. And you didn't do it. And you had no analysis, but that's fine. She has no analysis. And that's not fun. which, uh, you know. Oh, let the hand wringing commence. Welcome, Donna. Stirring up more trouble in Alaska than, oof, Joe Vogler. I mean, that's I've, I get that feeling. Stirring up more trouble, and I'm glad she is. Kitten Stedman. I just the the disdain is just drips out of this article. I just I can't even. No, it's a House committee. Sure, it'd be fine for her to work on that because it's a House committee. I just, but she doesn't have the right skill set to work as an aide for the Joint Committee. You know. Uh, Carpenter serves as the chair to the Joint Legislative Budget and Audit Committee with Stedman as the vice chair. He said Arduin didn't have the right skill set to work as an aide for that Joint Committee, but he declined to say whether he protested her working there. Well, that's because you're a, you're the vice chair. He's the chair. I don't know as you really have the horsepower to stop him. Carpenter's the chair. You're the vice chair. I think Carpenter gets to set those rules. So, pie hole. just love to be a fly on the wall to watch the conversations. I wanted to see the heads explode. The heads explode when they announced that Donna was going to be working for Ben Carpenter. I mean, I could just see the blood shooting out of people's eyes. <laughs> Grab the duct tape, Gertrude. Here we go. All right, we got more coming up. We got, uh, we're going to continue here in just a moment. One final segment, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about this HB22. And uh, we'll get back to that when we return. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Base, Free Thinking Radio. American Radio. Okay. Uh, 
just, I can't even, I can't even do it. Um, scrolling backwards here. Dunleavy gets rid of Donna and keeps Anne Zink, but then we know he's an idiot. They should have shot it down the balloon over the Aleutian Islands. Um, good morning, good morning, good morning. Oh, help people. I, you added help people to my comment. Uh, I'm going back to your comment, Chris. I don't want to misquote you. Oh, they do have a responsibility to help people, right? I no, Yeah. Government busted health care, so they do have a responsibility. I'm sorry. I thought it was implied that you meant to help these people. I apologize for adding help people to the comment. That's just what the implication was based on the flow of the conversation. Um, <laughs> uh, it has to follow Open Meetings Act now. What the caucus does? It has to follow the Open Meetings Act. Has there been some change that I'm not aware of? Um, a new Politburo. Slow news day, Donna says. She's in the chat room. Slow news day. No, I just found it hysterical, Donna. I'm just, I just found it very interesting that the walrus had all those things to say. All right. The Freshman Caucus. Sounds like an oxymoron. Or maybe just a bunch of morons. This is Sandy. Okay, okay. Uh... Did I did uh, uh, David says don't know if it's been covered, but did you guys see that the KPB assemblyman Dirk Avorkian writing that conservatives should all vote for Machiki for mayor, so as not to split the vote? I mean, again, lesser of two evils seems to always be the choice that we're stuck with, right? It's always seems to be the choice you're stuck with. Um, of course the walrus has heartburn over Ardwin. Uh, okay. Uh, his bloated budget is what's causing the damage. And we're supposed to worry about what? Right-leaning. Too many. Uh, the walrus doesn't get to say whether or not Donna is working with Ben Carpenter. Uh... And yeah, the left-winning radio, this is Air America Radio was a dumpster fire. That's what I'm saying. Right-leaning talker, Alaska, right-leaning Alaska radio show. Where are the left only on NPR? That's the only place, and that's the only way that left-leaning radio can really make it. Uh, as a commercial enterprise, it's been a dismal failure across the country. There are very few liberal radio networks or shows out there. They're almost all center and center-right. The only way they could do it is being propped up by the government. With the NPR. That's what it is. Um, uh, let's see. Yeah. Now we get to watch uh, Randy beat the horse to death again. Okay. Can we at least address the reality uh, that the super villainous boogeyman um, that the media would made us believe China is sent a freaking weather balloon with a GoPro on it to spy on us? Maybe they got budget issues too. I don't know. Is that what it was? A weather balloon with a GoPro? I mean, it wasn't like real time. They're sending it back to their satellite surveillance. I, I don't know. I haven't read enough about it to, to figure it out. Oh. 
anyway. Well, <clears throat> there we go. That's uh, I'm all caught up. All caught up on all the comments for this morning. Uh, do me a favor. Would you like and follow the show on Facebook? Would you subscribe and ring the bell on the YouTubes? The YouTubes. Got to mute it. Uh, I will, in fact, drop you a link right now into the thing where you can just go over there real quick. You can come right back to Facebook. But if you have it, would you go over to the YouTube channel and would you like or would you subscribe and ring the bell? Subscribe and ring the bell. Just go over there real quick. Hit subscribe. Jump back. Gonna kiss myself. Jump back. Go kiss myself. You can jump. You can come right back. 403 subscribers. I need 1,000. I've got 4,000 followers on Facebook, and I can't get 1,000 of them to go over to YouTube and subscribe and ring the bell on YouTube. It is such a weird thing that it's such a different user base for both platforms. Isn't that weird? I mean, some people are just like, no, I couldn't ever watch. I could never watch YouTube. It's just too. Facebook, yes, it's easy, but I could never. Any other YouTube, but I could never watch Facebook. And it, I know there are pros and cons to both, but if you could just go over there and subscribe, and ring the bell, you'd be doing me a huge favor. Ow. Huge favor. Huge favor. All right. Here we go. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Let's do this thing. Okay, uh, thank you, and good morning. Bacon time. Who said bacon? Bacon, bacon, bacon. Um, thanks for coming in and uh, being part of it today. Hour one continues. We just finished up uh, with all the heartburn that is Donna Ardwin back in the legislature. Uh, but now we've got a discussion over the pension plan. There's a bit of bit of shenanigans shenanigans going on in the legislature, specifically in the Community and Regional Affairs Committee, where um, apparently Andy Josephson has been uh, strong arming some stuff behind the scenes. They fast tracked his HB twenty two, which is the Defined Benefits Plan. And uh, had pushed it out of the Community and Regional Affairs Committee. But they were a little bit of, uh, well, let's just say they were a little premature. Let's just say they were a little, uh, got a little ahead of themselves. He took advantage of freshmen in the House, specifically, I think, talking about uh, C.J. McCormick, who's the the, uh, committee chair. uh, Wielding his superior knowledge gained, gained in years and years of legislative service. Uh, HB 22 passed, was rushed through the House C, uh, CRNA committee in its first committee of referral and managed to get approval within two weeks without a fiscal note. Now, that's the problem because you still don't have any idea how much it's going to cost. 
You got all these people to vote for it, and they're like, oh, yeah, it sounds like a good idea. Let's do it. It sounds good. Members of the committee who voted in favor uh, of in a vote of four to two included C.J. McCormick, the Democrat, Donna Mears, the Democrat, Rebecca Hemshute, the independent Democrat, and, yes, you guessed it, leader of the freshman caucus, Justin Ruffridge, the Republican, all voted in favor of it without a fiscal note, without a, with no understanding of how much it's going to actually cost. Meanwhile, Republicans Kevin McCabe and Tom McKay over here beating the drum of, uh, you know, fiscal common sense said, whoa, whoa, whoa there's no, we have no understanding of how much this is going to cost. How can you vote for it when it's supposed But the good news is, technically, it did not pass out of the committee. Now, I don't know what exactly happens from here, because technically it didn't pass the committee because it has to go to state affairs, but it cannot do so without a fiscal note, because state affairs will not accept the bill without a fiscal note. So I don't know exactly what's going to happen. Do they just put some kind of amended fiscal note into it and let the vote stand? Is it a complete and total do-over? Oh, by the way, just in case you were wondering, the CRNA committee made another boo-boo. They did not publicly advertise meetings for next week. So you can't do a do-over. For at least another week. I mean, this thing's just like. On top of that, all the finance committees have started to really pull together. And so now you're going to lose members of the CRNA. When are you going to be able to get it done? HB 22, according to Representative Kevin McCabe, who's the committee's vice chair, was being rushed through. And he pointed out that even the letter from the Anchorage Assembly, the most liberal body in the state of Alaska, uh, pointed out and encouraged the legislature to, quote, to diligently vet House Bill 22 and Senate Bill 35 in a committee and in collaboration with the munis to produce a final passage of the bill. He, he was pointing out the keywords diligently vet. He pointed out the committee hasn't even been given the opportunity to talk to the municipalities to find out what it's going to take, to find out what the actual cost is going to be. He said a rough estimate shows it could cost one fire department in the Matsu $400,000. According to the Division of Retirement Benefits, this is the kicker right here. Remember, we still have a $7 billion unfunded liability from the uh, previous defined benefits package. Remember that? Yeah, $7 billion. Uh, but according to the Division of Retirement Benefits, <clears throat> there are 31 communities or employers that are still in arrears in paying the still-on-the-books defined benefits. Still in arrears. They have not paid. We haven't had a defined benefits plan since 2006. We're going on nearly 20 years and they are still in arrears. You want to add to that? 
I mean, it's a... <laughs> and remember, this HB22 is the most conservative of all the bills. That's the most conservative of all the defined benefits bills that are out there. Yeah. I mean... I just don't know what to say. I don't know what to say, and I don't know exactly what the do-over is going to look like. But I know people are going to... I mean, this was a misfire, I think. Andy Josephson's thought, well, we'll just force it on through and it'll be fine. But then again, now it's going to hit this stumbling roadblock of the fact that it doesn't have a fiscal note and uh, everything's starting to pick up speed and uh, it's going to be it's going to be a hot mess. The bill goes to State Affairs Committee next, but since it cannot go without a fiscal note, it's in limbo and may in, remain in limbo for another week or more. While the committee chair, C.J. McCormick, shakes off the trick that Andy Josephson pulled on him by advising him to push it through quickly. Uh, not good. Not a good day. Not a good day to be C.J. McCormick on this thing. This is just, <clears throat> I don't know. I don't know what's going on. All right, let's um, let's get things ready. Coming up in hour two, um, we're going to be talking with Representative Will Stapp. Uh, he's going to be joining us here, and we're going to, you know, we're going to we're going to talk about uh, well, pretty much all of this stuff that we just covered, plus his exposure and his idea of what the whole what the whole thing looks like. We'll ask him if he's joined the new freshman caucus, and what his thoughts are on that as well, and uh, so much more. I mean, I think this is going to be. It should make for an interesting conversation this morning with some insight from the uh, from the mind of somebody who's just fresh and brand new like a shiny penny down there. We'll see how Will, Will feels about it uh, once we get, uh, get him on board as well. Coming up tomorrow on the program, Brad Keithley will be joining us. And uh, we'll, you know, I think we need to talk with him about that article about Donna because he's constantly going on about the one thing that this legislature seems to fail to do is to do analysis on the impacts of the cuts uh, or the or the programs or the, you know, either the increases or the cuts. Remember, he always asked the question, who pays? Right. I mean, that's an analysis, a cost analysis of who is the most impacted by the increases or cuts there. Uh, I think he'll be very interested to discover that Bert Stedman all of a sudden has a very, very large soft spot in his heart for this kind of stuff. Oh, oh, hey, we, there was no, we, oh, no, can't do it. There was no analysis about the impacts of this. No analysis, just in case you were wondering. So we'll talk about that with Brad Keithley tomorrow, and then, um, We'll uh, head on over to uh, talk with Chris Story, get our weekly life coaching update, um, which is our positivity. It's our it's our PMA. It's our positive mental attitude boost. That's what it's all about in uh, hour two tomorrow. 
All right, well, we're coming up to the top of the hour. Uh, time to uh, take a quick break, get you some news, and uh, pay some bills around here. And then when we get back, we'll be talking with Representative Bill, uh, Will, uh, Will Stapp, Bill William Will, Willard. Sorry, I'm butchering his name. It's Will Stapp. He's going to be joining us in hour two, and we'll uh, see what he has to uh, so we'll see what he has to say about. His new position there in the legislature. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. Back with more after this. says where the hell is the bell it's right next to the subscribe button right next to the subscribe button after you hit subscribe it should give you a little bell and you have a choice of getting all of the notifications personalized none of the none of the notifications or you can unsubscribe so if you're going over to youtube you can go over there and push the subscribe button and then it should turn into a little bell right there Michael, have you ever thought of running for governor? My God, why do you hate me? Why do you hate me? I'd never make it as a, I'd never, I did one stint as a politician in my local borough assembly, and that was enough for me. That was enough for me. I did two stints, actually, but that was enough for me. I could not be governor because throat punching is a punishable offense. That's all I'm saying. That's why I could not do it, because I, I do not like to work with some of these folks. Okay. Um, let's see. Uh, the new House Majority Bipartisan Caucus. The Stutes exactly. The rest of the Republican Caucus was pushed over. Gavin McCorping actually voted against Tilton to be Speaker, yet he was appointed Community and Regional Affairs. Uh, I don't hate you, but your name notoriety might assist. Well, yeah, I mean, that, it would definitely be notorious, that's for sure. Uh-huh. That would definitely be for sure. Um, okay. Couldn't find the bell, says Rick. It's pretty easy. It's right there. I mean, I found the, I found that when you go to a channel and you look at a channel, um, let's see what, uh, what am I looking for here? I'm just looking for, okay. I'll look to that right there. Uh, when you hit subscribe, it turns into a bell and then you hit all. When you click on the button on my thing, it says subscribed, and then it says all. As soon as you hit the button, it turns into a bell. You hit the subscribe button, then it turns into a bell. You use the drop down, you go all the way to the top, away you go. Simple, short, simple, easy, right? So, just in, do I need to make? Do I need to show you? Do I need to show you a video? Shall we? Shall we discuss it? Um, shall we? Do this right here. There we go. So when you, hey, no, come here. So when you go over to, wow, I got to get, uh, there we go. All right. So when you go to a website and you hit subscribe, it turns into a bell. Oops, I got to do it on the other screen. Turns into a bell. Then you use the drop down and you ring the bell by hitting all. 
See? That simple. That simple right there. All you got to do, just go to it, ring it, hit the subscribe button, drop it again, ring the bell. You're all good. Beautiful. Beautiful. Okay. I was just trying to help you. Just trying to help you there, just in case you were wondering. Okay. Um, let's, uh, let me go back over here to the comment room. Um, Will Stapp is now in the uh, green room. I see him over there. We're going to get to him here in a hot second and check his audio and everything else. Let's, uh, let's, let's try this thing. See what happens when we push this button. Oh man, look at that. We get two people up. Good morning, Will. How are you doing? Good, Michael. How are you? You know, no complaints, sir. No complaints. You uh, you all ready to uh, dive into this with both feet? Oh, sure. All right. Well, be excited. We're gonna uh, we're gonna hit this hard here in just a minute, and we'll kick things off here. Uh, we're about uh, two and a half minutes away right now, so we'll uh, we'll be back to you, uh, and we'll get things squared uh, in just a moment. So hold the line. I'll put you back into the green room. And uh, we will continue with our discussions uh, right up until we hit the top of the hour. All right. Uh, it was the Monday Morning Tech Minute with Michael. Yes, I've just tried. Hey, it was for my own benefit. I was trying to figure show people how to do it. Just push the subscribe button, then ring the bell. That's all you do. It's simple. It's easy. Anybody could do it. Even I could do it. That's what's that's what's good about that. All right. Um, what else do I got? What what did I not hear? Oh, we didn't talk about we didn't talk about the uh, we didn't talk about the school bus driver strike still going on, still going on. If, what is this day five of uh, I mean you know work days day five. Um, I just, I'm just so glad I don't have, I'm so glad I do not have, um, kids in school right now, having to try and juggle that kind of stuff. And, and, oh man, that would be a, that would be a serious, a serious problem. I'm so glad that we don't have to, uh, we don't have to deal with that right now. In my household. I mean, everybody else in the Matsu has to deal with it, just not me. Um, okay. Eh, we talked about that. We talked about that. And <laughs> the Donna Ardwin thing. There was no, there's no analysis by Ardwin about the impacts of the cuts being proposed by the governor. She's just not the right fit. Blah. Okay. All right. Thanks, Bert. I'm just, I'm, I'm sorry, Bert. That was just BS. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Bert. I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have said anything. I'm sorry. That's fine. We'll just deal with it. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio, hour two. Up next, we'll staff our guest. Let's do it. Here we go.
ready. Put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. That was just BS. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Across the world on the internet at uh, the website michaeldukeshow.com where you'll find links to the audio-only live stream, links to the podcast, links to our social media sites, and more. Plus, on plain old regular terrestrial radio, which is still free, by the way, uh, around the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator, The Michael Duke Show. Uh, where we broadcast live every weekday, Monday through Friday, to bring you the freshest Alaska news that we can possibly, and commentary. Uh, the commentary the commentary is important. I'm just saying right now. The commentary is important. Uh, we're continuing today. We just finished up with some of the uh, hot news there in hour one. Now we're going over to be joined by our guest, uh, freshman legislator from the Interior Will Stapp joins us this morning, and uh, we're going to have a conversation with him about, well, everything that's happening and uh, what his experience has been so far. And we're going to talk about some of the hot uh, news of the day and what goes on from there. Will Stapp, our guest, and he joins us uh, right now. Good morning, sir. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing good, Michael. Thank you. How are you? You know, I got no complaints, my friend. It's Monday, and I'm still breathing. That's uh, That's a plus. That's a big plus here. Um, so Will, uh, it's been a while since we talked. In fact, I think it was uh, on the campaign trail last time that we got a chance to, uh, to chat with you before you were elected. And here you are, a freshman legislator down there for the first time, getting uh, your feet wet. Um, uh, so I guess first and foremost, uh, initial impressions. What, what do you think now that you're down there and you've seen how the sausage is starting to be made, I guess, more than anything else? Was it, uh, does it fulfill all your hopes and dreams, Will? I mean, is it everything that you could possibly want and then some? Yeah, well, you know, I, I tell folks I'm always motivated by being a glutton for punishment, Michael. So uh, all the fun, wonderful things that you learn um, kind of by doing your due diligence in this building always make you excited that uh, there's always about a million more problems uh, that exist that uh, you didn't know Um when you got down here because um, you were only aware of the million that existed before you walked in the building. So Right, exactly. Well, that's uh, that's part of the problem. You think you know everything, and then it turns out that you know nothing, Jon Snow, because you didn't. You had no idea of all the stuff that was going to be happening and, and everything else. Um, Will, let's talk for a minute. I mean, I guess first and foremost, since it's in the news, what is the uh, – what's the deal with the freshman caucus? Are you a member of this freshman caucus that's been put together by uh, Justin Ruffridge and what, uh, you know, what are your stated goals or, you know, give us some, give us some background here. Yeah. I, uh, I'm not entirely sure. You know, I, I uh, spoke with uh, Justin a couple of days before uh, he had made that announcement. So I knew that it was going to 
be a thing. Um, I, I like to call it a true freshman caucus, apparently, because we don't like red shirts in this building. That's the one, the first thing that I noticed. You know, you can't be a, a coming back and be a new freshman. You got to be a true freshman. But uh, right. I'm not entirely sure, to be honest. Um, I, I, I kind of think it's just a continuation of conversations that uh, we had the privilege of having with some of our new newly elected colleagues over just kind of coffee talk. Um, but you never know, Michael. I mean, I told the reporter at the ADN, I made a joke and I'm a little sad he didn't print it. I said, I don't know if we're talking about football on Monday or plotting coups on Tuesday. So, but, um, <laughs> well, good. I'm surprised he didn't print that. Well, that just seems. Intriguing. I know. I'm, I'm a little disappointed, to be honest, yeah. you know, so. Um, well, let's talk about your experience with organization and uh, committee assignments and everything else. Um, now that you've seen again how kind of that process has gone through, uh, let's talk about your impressions on the organization and how things uh, how things uh, fell out. Tell me a little bit about that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, it, you know, in my opinion, I think it's a great um, you know privilege not only to be down here being new, but to be a part of a Republican majority. Uh, uh, organization, you know, Republicans haven't been in uh, in power in the House for, I think, six years prior to this year. Um, and uh, given the nature of the organization of the other body, I'm just really proud of my colleagues, uh, not just the new ones, but the incumbent ones who kind of all understood that uh, it was very important that uh, we attempt to counterbalance the uh, other organization and, and help support um, our values throughout the state. Uh, because I think that um, based on the conversations in terms of spending that are going on now, it would have been a whole lot worse if uh, we had been in the minority in the house as well. So, no, I mean, I think it's definitely, it's good to see. I like seeing it. Um, your committee assignments, did you, uh, I mean, do, were you out there soliciting it? What were you, were you, was it a surprise? What kind of conversations happened on figuring out where you were going to be? Oh, I, I don't know if it was that much of a surprise. You know, I'm a Fairbanks uh, Republican, Michael, so we kind of have a long tradition in Fairbanks, as you well know, of uh, representatives who are serving on House Finance Committee. Uh, my predecessor served on House Finance. Um, actually, last last year, uh, you know, Fairbanks had three representatives on House Finance, and uh, this year we have uh, three members from the interior on House Finance as well. So I guess the tradition just decided to continue. So. Uh, Will Stapp is our guest, uh, House District Rep for District 32, which is South Anchorage and Fort Wainwright. Will, uh, we're seeing a lot of conversations going on about um, seeing a lot of conversations going on about the big issues that are facing us uh, in the state. Of course, the big things that are being discussed right now are one, education funding. Right, this is the forward. Yeah. This is the BSA increase and potentially other things, whether it's forward funding or other educational <clears throat> components, um, which is being discussed right now. And then the second thing is the uh, defined benefits program, which is oh, got, yeah. which has got bills in both the House and the Senate, multiple bills to deal with all this kind of stuff. So let's uh, talk for a minute about this. Let's start off with education. There's already been a, yeah. there's already been a discussion about increasing the BSA by a thousand dollars and cries that well that's not enough it has to be more like twelve or fifteen or eighteen hundred dollars to really make up for it and everything else yet there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of discussion about um, you know about accountability about uh, you know uh, about what the product looks like when it leaves the factory so to speak the actually scholastic achievement and everything else. 
So give me your thoughts on what is being discussed with the school funding and where you're at on this discussion and debate. Oh, sure. Uh, you know, I guess kind of start, uh, I, I tell the joke uh, when I, I, I came to this building um, about two and a half weeks ago now, uh, the number I heard from the, the other body and some of the members was they wanted to spend $80 million on the BSA. And then uh, a couple of days later, that was $110 million. And then Last week it was two hundred million dollars, and I guess yesterday it was three hundred million dollars. So the joke I make is, hey, before the end of session, the BSA increase is going to be like one point five billion, you know, at the rate we're going here in the building. Um, but uh, so my my fundamental philosophy is pretty simple, Michael. Uh, basically, um, education is a fundamental good thing. Obviously, we want uh, to be able to solve uh, existing challenges and workforce and employment development, but we have to be aware that there is actually a finite amount of money that we can spend on things. And historically, we need to look at past performance uh, of where we're at historically and where we're actually trying to go. Um, so I tell folks, I, I think it's a good thing if you actually have quality education. I think that's a worthy thing uh, to be able to help assist in. You know, but the problem in Alaska is, you know, really since um, the early 2000s, we've been one of the bottom performers um, in education outcomes. Um, there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, but unfortunately, you know, many of those factors have never really been included uh, in funding mechanisms. Um, and <clears throat> I always tell folks what's monitored uh, will improve. And unfortunately, my position is, uh, well, I'm certainly sympathetic to the challenges that school districts face uh, in terms of uh, funding due to inflationary pressure. Um, I, I, would, I would basically consider a BSA increase uh, only if I knew that we could actually change outcomes uh, that would be more positive for students, if that makes sense. Well, no, I mean, look, Will, I think your first part of that statement where, you know, you support, uh, you know, education for a good education. I mean, who, who's going to get up there and say, well, yeah. I don't really support a good education for kids. I think that they're just they should all be dumb as rocks and do that. But you're right. I mean, this is kind of the conundrum that they put you in. They make you defend yourself for you to say, well, of course I support children and, and good education. The problem is, is that when you ask for that accountability, that's part of the problem. That's the part that they don't want because you're going to pay money for a product, which in this case is education, you know, good, highly educated children. Well, not even highly educated who can pass a basic written and, you know, reading exams and writing exams and math and do the basic stuff instead of being in the 48th, 49th percent, you know, of, of the bottom of the of the 50 states. And so it's not surprising. Yes, of course, it has to have metrics that connect the two. Is there any serious discussion on that right now? Uh, I know that people in our body are certainly uh, having discussions. Um, I obviously can't speak for the other body, Michael. Um, but uh, keep in mind, you know, the BSA is just a component of what's called the foundation formula. Uh, so reality is if you're looking for performance-based indicators in terms of education, you either take a crack at the structural foundation formula itself or you look for funding mechanisms that exist outside the BSA if that makes sense. So those those would be kind of the ways that you try to achieve that objective. Uh, not dissimilar to, the, say, the Reeds Act from last year, if that makes sense. Right. Well, and, and I agree. I mean, we need to be looking at accountability at all the levels. And the problem with the BSA is that as we give them more money, there's only so much that actually makes it into the classroom. A lot of the BSA is sucked up by overhead, administration, executives, you know, uh, uh, hard hard costs associated with brick and mortar and things like that. So by increasing that, are we actually getting 
a better education or are we just increasing the overhead and the, uh, you know, and the administrative uh, costs and those kind of things? Yeah. And uh, I mean, you're kind of exactly right. I mean, was, are you just throwing money at problems at that point or you're actually trying to better outcomes? Uh, and I think for me, I ran on outcome driven things, uh, you know, so um, keep in mind, our state already spends a ton of money on stuff. And uh, we should be very kind of fiscally conservative about the things that we want to spend money on. Uh, and again, if there's a worthy goal and we can affect better outcomes for people, then I'm certainly interested in taking a look at it. Uh, but if we're just going to be giving money to folks for the sake of giving money to folks, that's probably not something I would be interested in. If that makes sense. Well, if you look at the coverage of this, too, give me your thoughts on this, because the coverage of this in the various news outlets has been uh you know education has been underfunded for so long and we have it increased and we have it and they and, and everything was focused on the bsa and there was no no discussion of the foundation formula additional spending all these other things um i mean if you if you were just somebody who was not that well informed and all you did was read the paper you'd think that we'd been shortchanging these kids for years uh instead of having a 35 percent increase in education funding over the last nine or ten years uh, you know, they don't talk about the billions of dollars that have been spent outside of the BSA. Uh, I mean, what does that do for you as a legislator? Kind of that. I mean, I guess I want to say it's like disingenuous to put the articles out that way without mentions of all this other spending. But how do we how do we educate people and how does that affect your decisions on this? I, I think it's, you know, um, it, it's kind of a product of being in in this kind of position, Michael. I, I tell folks, I'll give you an analogy, right? Um like a, a lot of folks uh, will come, especially teachers, one of their arguments is, hey, you know, when it comes to our retirement system, uh, we we don't have Social Security, right? So we have no you know, standard type of uh, mechanism in which we have standard retirement like everybody else does. Um, you know, but there's a second aspect of that that typically doesn't get up, which if if people are enrolled in the TUR system, if, if they wanted to opt into Social Security, they can basically do that anytime they want just by requesting a vote of the arm board. Right. Um, so you got to be able to do your due diligence and kind of read between the lines and understand that uh, being new, uh, people will absolutely try to uh, take advantage of your ignorance in the process and ignorance in some of the things. So uh, a lot of times ideas will sound really good, uh, but you always got to be a little cautious to make sure somebody's not tricking you into trying to do something that you don't actually want to do. That so, makes sense. Something like along with Reagan's trust but verify. Verify, exactly. Trust, but verify. If it sounds too good to be true, quite possibly, it's not true. Uh, all right, Will Stapp is our guest. We're going to continue with him here in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. We're going to be back. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about the Defined Benefits Program. We're also going to talk about Will's bill. To uh, He's got a spending cap bill that he's putting together. I want to talk about that. And I want to talk about the governor's new proposal for expansion of Medicaid uh, with Will as well. The Michael Duke Show continues. It is your home for common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We'll staff our guests. We return with more right after this. Broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on, on, the, on the, the Internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. 
streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, uh, we are in the break and ready to go here. Will Stapp is our guest, uh, and we'll uh, we'll go back to them. Will, what's the what's I always like to kind of take a pulse for especially for new folks there. What's the biggest surprise uh, since you've been down there for two weeks now? Whole two weeks, boy. That's you know you're gonna get some education. Oh, what's the I mean, it, it's kind of not surprising. You know, last time I was on your show, Michael, when I we were talking about uh, taxes and stuff like that, I said, you know, I grew up in the Seattle suburbs, and my experience with uh, my Democratic friends was always um, the amount of revenue never really mattered. They would always find kind of a way to spend all of it. Um, so typically what I tell folks is um, I, I'm a little shocked by the amount of the big ticket spending items uh, and ideas that are kind of circulating through the building, um, irrespective of existing revenues. You know, I, I tell folks, um, you know, probably one of the most, I guess, disappointing things for me to know that probably one of the first consequential votes I will be taking in this building is uh, more than likely to uh, tap the state's uh, savings account to pay for last year's budget, right? If that makes sense through the right. supplemental. Yeah, right? supplemental appropriations to co- basically cover the overages of what was overspent, yeah, but- <clears throat> right? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, people say, well, you know, in Alaska, you can't bind one legislator to another, right? Legislation to uh, another one, the 32nd to the 33rd, for example. But effectively, you know, if you're going to draw on savings to pay for the previous year's budget that uh, people voted on that you weren't even in the building on, I don't know what else you would call that. That's, pr- that's pretty binding. I mean, it's pretty binding yeah. when they say, oh, by the way, you got to pay for our, our, our past due bills over here. You got to do that. And if you don't, boy, you're in trouble. Yeah, I mean, look, there really is no, I mean, it's money you already spent, so you basically are required to fund it, right? I mean, you know, you can't really just not, you know, not pay for stuff. So the um, irony of the fact that that is the largest budget in state history, and yet we still have to go back and true it up is, well, it's a little scary, Will. Let's just say it's a little scary. Yeah, no. It is, especially when you start kind of looking around, um, you know, at funding sources and oil projections and kind of understanding that uh, there are a lot of people kind of going around who kind of believe that we actually have a lot more money available than we really do, you know. Um, so coming here next week, we're going to get the um, the amendments to the supplemental and we're going to get the new revenue projection and we're, we're going to get some of these um, basically liabilities that are known liabilities on the operating budget that haven't been reflected in the governor's budget at this point. And uh, reality will, will kind of paint a different picture than a lot of folks, I think, uh, think we have in terms of revenue or as far as expenditures. And we can get into that, too. I mean, you hit on some of them already with Medicaid. So, yeah, no. Well, it's going to be there's going to be a lot of uh, discussion you know, it's amazing that when uh, I often liken the budgets in the state of Alaska to that scene from Pirates of the Caribbean, where they're running back and forth from rail to rail on one side of the ship, trying to rock the ship. And that's the way we seem to always be. You know, we got, wow, we've got a lot of money. We got more money than we could ever spend. Oh, my God, we're out of money. What are we going to do? We're going to have to tax. Well, we've got a lot of money. I mean, it's just like, you know, they never think about we should probably just, you know, stand in the middle and, you know, when we've got too much money, we bank it or, you know, quote unquote, too much money. And when we don't have enough money, now we can draw on the money that we saved when we were, you know, when we were rich and now we can do it. But it's always this rush back and forth uh, one way or the other to, you know, hyper spending to crisis management because now we have a deficit. Yeah. 
And that's really kind of the uh, the driving behind um, <clears throat> the the spending cap constitutional amendment bill that I'm carrying. Um, obviously, the idea originates from uh, Senator Kaufman, former Representative Kaufman, uh, to really try to start to make some structural changes, um, hopefully to change long-term behavior. Um, you know, the analogy I give folks is, um, it's like bowling with the bumpers up, Michael, you know? Uh, I'm not that great of a bowler, so I tell folks, I can't always tell people how to throw a strike, but I know if you put the little guards up when you bowl, you can stop people from pulling a gutter ball every time. And maybe one pin per frame uh, is probably a lot better than gutter balls all the time. Yeah, so. no. Well, I think that is definitely, if you're looking for a one thing that's going to hold the size and scope of government down, a spending cap would be the way to do it. Now, it has to be the right spending cap, the right kind, because we have one now that's useless. But, yeah. uh, you know, I, I agree. I think that that's important. All right, Will, hold the line. We're jumping back into it. The Michael Luke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, Free Thinking Radio. <laughs> All right. Welcome back to the program. Will Stapp is our guest. He continues with us now as we uh, jump back into it here, talking about a variety of things. I want, before we talk about your uh, spending cap bill, which I think we want to spend a little bit of time on here, I do want to talk about uh, the the big elephant in the room, which I think has the potential to really hurt the state of Alaska in the long run. <clears throat> and that is this revival of the defined benefits program. Now, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the listeners know, 2006, we made the change from a defined benefit to a defined contribution. The main reason for that is because we were $13 billion nearly upside down in unfunded liability. It was bankrupting the state. It was costing uh, municipalities hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars a year. Uh, and it was a, it was a disaster. And yet it's been revived. And now it's been rushed through the Community and Regional Affairs Committee. Uh, got passed out without a fiscal note, which can't happen because it's got to go to state affairs. And so, uh, you know, and the, and the big thing here is, is that we keep hearing about, oh, this is going to save us money. Oh, this is going to be cost neutral. Oh, this is going to be. But there's no fiscal note. I mean, this is a this is problematic. I mean, history shows us that defined benefit plans are a good way to put yourself in a fiscal crisis. I mean, if you look at the track record of them across the country, very few have ever made sense. Give us your thoughts on the defined benefits plan. Yeah, so I think uh, context first. Um, oh man, so starters with bills. I mean, in the House, this is I think a re re rendition of firefighters and police bill. Um, so keep in mind, firefighters and police are a relatively small segment of the uh, public sector employees. Uh, but the real risk, the real financial and actuarial risk behind this is basically violating some basic principles and benefits. I come from the employee benefits side in the in the private sector, you know, in insurance, and uh, we have rules uh, governing ERISA law and non-discriminatory testing. And basically, the big problem the state has is, hey, 
Um, how can you effectively treat everyone equally if you start carving out sub-segments of your own employer base and giving them special benefits as opposed to not other people? You're talking uh, so about the, you're talking about the first responders. How it's this one's yeah, only going to the first exactly. responders. So Which, I, I don't believe you can do that. I believe if you were to give a subsection of uh, Alaska State employees defined benefits, I think you'd probably immediately get sued and maybe you'd lose. And uh, again, I'm not a lawyer. But I would do, if you wanted to go back to, let's go define benefits, uh, looking at uh, Senator Keel's bill is probably like the more honest kind of example of that, because his bill wants to give it to everybody, which I think is what you'd end up doing anyways if you right. started to give it to some people. Well, um, yeah. I think that's working as intended, by the way. I think that was the whole point of this, is that mm -hmm. you give it to the easiest subset to give it to, and then they know that that inequity would cause a legal challenge that in case would then expand it to what Keel is talking about, which is 40,000 employees. Yeah. So, so that's kind of step one. Step two would be to say, okay, the, the, the nucleus behind the return to defined benefits is an attempt. In my opinion, it's not a very, it's a bad one because of the actuarial risk, but it's an attempt to try to solve the workforce development challenges that we have in the state of Alaska, um, especially in government. We have huge vacancy rates across all of our departments, including uh, public safety. So those are real challenges that we have to commit to tackling. Um, but I tell folks, uh, you, you want to do that with the understanding that you do have a finite amount of money and uh, is it worth basically breaking the bank over? Um, so the real problem with defined benefits is uh, the actuarial risk to the state. So as you mentioned earlier, uh, the state has a current existing unfunded liability of $7 billion uh, for our tier one and tier two employees. Keep in mind, we got rid of that program um, what, 16 years ago now? Um, and there's also some hidden factors uh, that are already, uh, you know, geared to kind of drive that liability up. Uh, one is the market performance of the fund. And two, and I haven't heard anyone really address this, uh, keep in mind, um, oh, a year ago, the, uh, the some teachers sued on behalf of, um, they were in tier one, tier two, they didn't vest, they left their place of employment, they came back in tier four, and they sued the fact that they should be allowed to continue to vest in tier one. And of course, the Supreme Court ruled, um, you know, that you, that you can't take away benefits once someone is in the program, like it says in our constitution, Michael. So now you got a potential additional risk of a bunch of employees that might have started in tier one and tier two and uh, maybe they were teachers maybe they were public sector employees they left their place of employment uh, prior to investing in the retirement system and uh, they might be able to come back now and uh, and revest in those programs which of course drives the overall liability up right um so the overall point is, hey, you know, before we start talking about adding long-term uh, financial liabilities to the state, especially on the operating side, maybe we should kind of figure out how we're going to deal with our existing long-term liability of $7 billion. At least that's where I would come Wait, from. you mean if the house is on fire, we shouldn't pour gasoline on it? Is that what you're saying? I mean, you know, that's... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, you mentioned uh, the monkey with the with the pipe wrench beating stuff up. And I, I thought, you know, well, the real solution with the monkey beating everything in the pipe wrench, Michael, is to give him a flamethrower and tell him to try again. You know, right. Riley, you could fix it now. Just burn it all down. I mean, look, uh, I'm all for people being treated well. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I think that's good. But to think that this the, the naivete of basically saying, Oh, this will be revenue neutral. Keel is actually quoted as saying this will save the state money. 
um, in the long run. And yet again, we still have a $7 billion unfunded liability from the first go around. I'm, I'm in agreement with you. There should be no discussion on an expansion or a reactivation of defined benefits until we've taken care of the past liability. That's got to be handled first. Even even if it proves out that this is the greatest thing since sliced white bread, we've got to get the past liability taken care of before we move forward. Yeah, and keep in mind, like I said, I, I will happily engage in the discussion and, and research it. Um, and, but these are the types of long-term decisions that you really got to slow down, take a lot of time, uh, look at your actuarials, look at your cost-benefit analysis, and then kind of make the decision from there. So, right. you know, in, yeah, and that that's just how, in fact, you'd want to do things to try to be as responsible as possible. So. Well, and not even talking about the state's fiscal note. There's a there's still a regional or rural, you know, uh, fiscal note for the political subdivisions, the municipalities, the cities, those kind of things. Because if you go back to defined benefits, they're going to have to pay more than what they're paying right now. Uh, and again, as the as the the uh, committee said, the audit committee said. 31 entities right now are already in arrears for something that we stopped doing almost 20 years ago, 18 years ago, right? Uh, they're already stopped. They're already in the, in the doghouse over this and you want to add more to it to me. Fine. Have the discussion, but have an honest discussion about what the actual costs are going to be. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and that's just, that's true to a lot of other spending items, and that's true to standard operating budgetary items, Michael. I mean, I, I always think it's uh, it's best to try to be um, to have the numbers kind of upfront with people as possible, so you actually can know the costs up front, and then you can kind of weigh the decisions to the voters, um, you know, afterward. So, um, I want are you are you with us to the top of the hour? Can you stay to the top of the hour? Or are you okay? Oh, sure. Okay, good. So we'll spend the last segment going over your bills including your spending cap bill. But I want to talk for just a moment about the governor's new proposal to expand Medicare for uh, postnatal postpartum care. Um, yeah. Because uh, while I, uh, I feel for people and I agree, we should be a, you know, a very much pro-life state. Uh, I question as to whether expanding the governmental program is the way to go. We already have a third of Alaskans right now, one th- 270 something thousand Alaskans are already on Medicaid. Um, and uh, that's that's well over a third. It's it's approaching 40 percent. And to, to expand the idea to say, well, now we need to do another two point six million dollars per annum for this specific care just seems like the wrong approach to me. It's not that I don't want those people to have care. It's that I question whether or not it's the government's responsibility to provide that care. What do you say? Yeah, so we're going to kind of explore the complexities of this situation. So um, so before we get into the actual like a uh, optional service requests that the governor's making in a bill format, um, let's kind of overview what is going on in this Medicaid liability for the state. Right. So keep in mind, um, during the pandemic, uh, anyone who enrolled in Medicaid basically could not be disenrolled in Medicaid due to the emergency order. So that has effectively ballooned the amount of enrollees in the state of Alaska at its highest, I think, was actually 37% of the total population. So it was actually over a third. Um, but keep in mind that that enhanced, it's called FMAP, federal matching percentage, uh, that drops down starting May 1st, right? So basically, the additional funding for the Medicaid program that the state has been giving through uh, enhanced FMAP ratchets down. 
us in this fiscal year for our budget. So that is a potential new liability of about $18 million a quarter that the state would now assume from federal responsibility that's not currently reflected in the governor's budget released by OMB because it happened after that process, right? So keep in mind, before we do anything with Medicaid, we could potentially looking at an additional 70 plus million dollars that the state is going to have to fund on the program, uh, depending on how the redeterminations of existing enrollees uh, perform from the department starting April 1. Um, so I guess if you're thinking in terms of the Medicaid expense in the billions, you know, maybe uh, this $2 million expense is not that big of a deal. Uh, I think all kind of spending is a big deal. Um, and as we transition to the actual topic of the, the bill, what exactly are we talking about? Um, so basically the proposal is to take an existing classification of people and extend their coverage uh, ability from 60 days to an entire year, okay? Um, so what does that effectively mean? Well, keep in mind when someone is enrolled in Medicaid, they are enrolled in all Medicaid services. Right. So what you are effectively doing is you are extending coverage for a group of people from 60 days to uh, one entire year. Right. And that is any type of service that they incur while enrolled on the program. All right. So so that's that's the practical aspect of what you're doing. So my, my so, question to the so department. Hold oh, on a second. Uh, hold your question, because so what just to dumb it down for those of us in the back of the room, basically what you're saying is you're not just giving them the coverage and care for the postnatal, you know, postpartum issue. Yeah. They're basically, they have the whole smorgasbord that's available to them. Exactly, it, once right. you put you them can, on, they can get everything. Yeah, absolutely. So you're extending that for, you know, up to 12 months. So, so that's step one is kind of identify what we're actually talking about. Right. And then step two is identify the costs. Um, and I, I think, uh, you know, healthcare is a good thing. I do employ benefits for a living. So I want people to have, um, you know, great benefits and have access to quality healthcare, you know. Um, so step two is the cost. So the, the you know, the initial, I think, fiscal note on that on the bill is $2.6 million. Um, there's a lot of kind of technical concerns I have that I've, I've kind of conveyed to the department already, how they came up with that number, uh, what the subgroup of people is. Um, and really the concern that I have is if you add that, that service, uh, are you unintentionally what's called cannibalizing your Medicaid expansion enrollees to keep this certain subgroup of folks enrolled in the program for a year? Right. right. So there's right. a lot of technical aspects I have that could potentially make this uh, a cheaper idea or a lot more expensive idea. And either way, uh, you know, my first thought is, hey, let's get the actual uh, cost on this first, and then let's actually discuss the merits of the proposal, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, I'm, I am waiting for the May 1st deadline, because then uh, everybody who's currently on the program, there will have to be an analysis to whether or not they qualify, because it's been a hiatus since the pandemic began. Yeah. So we will see a lot of people drop off the program at that time, which is good, I think, because, you know, it was supposed to be a short-term deal. But again, you're right. The unintended, the, the the most powerful law in the universe is the law of unintended consequences. And by putting somebody on here and giving them access to the entire cadre of Medicare, ser Medicaid services uh, could be a problem when this is all said and done. Will Stapp is our guest, uh, House Representative for District 32 up in the interior. We're going to continue with him here in uh, just a moment. Don't go anywhere. We will uh, be back. We're going to talk with him about his spending cap bill 
and the other things that he's going to focus on for the remainder of the session. We're going to continue with Will Stapp in just a moment. It is the Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Our light, our guide, and our trusted friend. Will, that was something that I hadn't even gotten into and considered uh, on this, that this is not just a single program. This is not just, oh, let's put all these women in this postpartum care program and they'll do it. No, no, that's, I mean, and that's going to cost 2.6, just that part of it. If you add all these people to that plan and then it expands to where they have access to everything, 2.6 is just the bottom of the budgetary amount, right? I mean, when it's all said and done. Oh, uh, yeah, we'll see. And this is what I mean about asking the questions, right? Um, so I've already done that. I actually, that's actually the subcommittee that I'm in charge of, you know, so I'm just waiting to hear some answers. And then we'll go through the, the hearing process and identify more potential financial risk or maybe even some uh, potential financial savings. I mean, the benefit I do tell folks is I believe uh, that through different sorts of mechanisms, there is a lot of potential to actually save a lot of money from uh, on the state existing too, Michael. So it's not all doom and gloom, you know. Right. I guess, I guess to me the problem is maybe you know maybe we can save fifty to seventy million dollars on the state's liability on Medicaid by kind of changing the color of money, but you know which would make me really happy because uh, right. unfortunately people spend that money immediately. So, but at least I got to save some money. Right. right? Well, I mean, this, this actually raises a bigger question. Should we be doing an analysis and an audit of Medicaid expenses in the state? Because there's a lot of anecdotal reporting and information about, you know, abuse and fraud and waste in these programs and these systems. But it seems like nobody, every time we start talking about this over the last probably five years, there's been an immediate, ooh, we shouldn't do that. Don't do that. People need health care. And so should there be a audit and analysis of uh, of the system and, you know, find efficiencies, find waste, find fraud, and uh, and plug those holes before we move on to expanding it? Yeah, I mean, um, probably easier said than done. I'll kind of tell you the reason why. Um so I was joking with a couple of my representative friends regarding the DPA Department of Public Assistance alone. Um, you basically have a department that's in charge of a lot of these aspects that we're talking about that uh, is running their software on Cobalt from the 90s. And uh, it's got a huge vacancy rate. You've got nine separate systems. And quite honestly, if you probably paid a systems engineer a ton of money, he might not be able to design some worse process, even if you, you paid him millions of dollars to do so. Um, so it's really difficult to kind of get into the nuts and bolts of this stuff when you have so many immediate challenges. Um, so my yeah. argument is kind of like we have to look at the core functions of the government department and we actually have to make them functional first, um, like something like SNAP, for example, um, because when we're not performing with our SNAP benefits, we get sued and then that costs the state a lot more money. And then, uh, well, everybody on this program probably knows where we go for money to pay for stuff, right? right so right. Incurring, incurring lawsuits uh, that we have to settle, that's probably not our best interest, you know what I mean? So, Well, how about a modernization then? How about a modernization for the department and, and something like that where you could query <laughs> and pull information and get, you know, that information in this day and age should be at your fingertips. You should have a few button presses and be able to see, 
okay, how much did the state pay for flights for Medicaid? How much do they pay for these procedures? How much did they pay for this? You know, you should be able to have that at a push of a button instead of having archaic systems. So on positive news, so that is one of our kind of targeted goals, and that is going to be the process of our subcommittee, uh, you know, hearings that are coming up uh, this week. So, you know, tune in and we're going to go over all those things. We're going to talk about modernization of MIPS and how to effectively kind of take this, uh, these core functions and move them into the, uh, let's, let's call it the 2010s. You know what I mean? We, at least we can get that far in, in technology, you know, as right. opposed to the 2023. So yeah, no, we've identified those things and the uh, folks working in the department are, are, you know, working on them. And those are, that's kind of been the, the process that we're going to work on. And I personally are spending a lot of time focusing on down here. So, so can I take it from your discussion that you don't support the expansion of Medicaid without all the proper information, knowing what it's going to cost and have all those, I mean, you, you can't support it until you have all those factors in place. Is that kind of where you stand? Yeah, I would say we're going to do our due diligence, right? Um, and like I said, if the numbers pencil out, it depends on, um, you know, there are effectively cost savings too long-term for the state if you catch medical conditions early. So factoring all that type of stuff, you know, I'm not opposed to the governor's bill at all. I just want to know the the numbers, and if the numbers make sense, I, I would probably even vote in favor of it. But I'm just not sure yet if that makes sense. Well, uh, it's going to be like I said. I'm looking forward to seeing how many people are going to drop off the rolls in May. That will have a big impact yeah. on whether or not you could. I mean, if you're going to lose, uh, if you're going to lose 15 to 20 percent of the current enrollees, and you're going to add on two percent with Medicaid, you know, with postpartum care. Maybe that trade-off makes sense, but again, I guess yeah. my base question is still this: even if it made fiscal sense, is it the government's responsibility for people, you know, for all mothers, you know, for the postpartum? I mean, is that is that really a function of government in your mind? Yeah, I mean, that's you know, it doesn't even really matter how you answer that question, Michael, because we already do most of that anyways, right? So you can say, well in an any ideological kind of consensus you know I, i'm a big believer in personal responsibility um but you know then you got to look at government and say well 37 percent of the population's on medicaid already so yeah you gotta do it. You hold, know what i mean like hold on a second the michael duke show Okay, we're continuing right now. Will Stapp is our guest, House Representative for District 32. We're going to uh, dive a little bit deeper into this now and talk about some of the bills that Will has put forward. The biggest one, I think probably the most important bill that uh, we could see right now is going to be the spending cap bill that that he has put forward. Uh, Will, you likened it earlier to bowling with the bumpers in the gutters, right? So you don't get a gutter ball. Um, you know, at least it keeps the rails, it keeps the framework in so that they don't overspend. I, for one, think that it's critical to have a spending cap. It's the only way that if new revenues are developed, that we'll be able to keep a constant downward pressure without them spending all of the PFD and more. Uh, what uh, What is the details of your bill and what is to uh, prevent it bec- from becoming irrelevant like the current constitutional spending cap that we have right now? Yeah, so... Um... 
basically from a bird's eye view, what, what we are effectively attempting to do is we are attempting to replace the existing state's um, uh, appropriation limit or spending cap that is indexed to it's called population and inflation and replace it with a spending cap that is indexed to private sector GDP. All right, so the fundamental concept is um, basically in Alaska, um, you know, the certain industries we only care about it because they're the ones that are the most uh, important to us in terms of revenue for state types of programs. And if you can create a marriage between the private sector and state government, uh, effectively, folks who are elected uh, after my voters decide to throw me out in the cold or I don't want to do this anymore, uh, new legislatures can come in and they are effectively uh, have to consider private sector performance based on their decision making. Um, so I would say it kind of stems from the overall understanding of in a healthy economy, you have two types of economies, Michael. You have a public sector an economy and a private sector economy. And Everywhere you go, a healthy economy, the public sector always balances on the shoulders of the private sector, okay? So I call it the big man and the little man syndrome. So uh, if you're trying to carry someone on your shoulders, ideally you want that person to weigh less and be less heavy than you are, because if you reverse the two, you're gonna get feel the weight of the heavy yeah. guy. He's gonna crush you down in the ground. Right. Um, so even when you look at some of the most, uh, let's call it socialistic countries in Western Europe, um, Sweden in the 1970s, for example, everybody kind of figured this out and they started trimming um, the public sector on top and trying to make a robust private sector on the bottom. Uh, so even those countries that my Democrat friends kind of point to for mechanisms, they're a lot more market driven today than they were in the 60s and 70s uh, for that reason, you know. No, exactly right. I mean, they keep holding up the utopian. Even the Swedish prime minister was quoted as saying, stop saying that we're a socialist deal because we're not. We're a free market. Yeah. We've discovered the free market is really the only way to keep things growing and going. And that's been one of my biggest fears in the legislature, Will. In fact, uh, Senator Rob Meyer and I have talked about this exclusively uh, on the program several times, is the problem is, you know, one of the big utopian ideals that people keep talking about is if we get the permanent fund to $100 million, it'll spin off enough money for the government to be self-sufficient. No, what it'll do is it'll disconnect the public economy from the private economy. It won't matter what the government does to the public to the private economy because they've got their own source of revenue and income and it's just completely disconnected and it doesn't matter and that will cause a runaway growth in government in my opinion yeah no i mean i i would basically agree um you know because historically that's effectively what happens um so the other kind of mechanism here with the statutory and then of course constitutional cap of the bill is it's designed to basically take high revenue years and kind of force people to put money aside, uh, you know, for future years. Um, so it, I just had, a, you know, the 10 year outlook briefing, looking at OMB's projections for the budget. And I tell folks, hey, uh, literally 10 years ago or 11 years ago now, our state had $16 billion in the CBR and it had $10 billion in revenue. And uh, one day I'll find the same of 10 year finance projection meeting from 2011 or 2012. And we'll kind of see what everyone thought the state's finances would be back then uh, today. You know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, One of my big questions is on your bill, proposed bill, 
Is it a statutory change or is it a constitutional change? Yeah, there are two changes. Uh, so there is a bill and there is a constitutional amendment, SGR, uh, HGR 2, right? Um, so basically, they, they're designed to work hand in hand where we would establish a new statutory limit in spending. Uh, but you could ratchet that up to the constitutional limit to ensure kind of waterfall capital spending, right? So basically, think of it in terms of um, trying to, you know, understand that if you are going to build a healthy economy in Alaska, we do require uh, capital spending on infrastructure because that's kind of critical aspects of our state. Uh, in order to do mining, for example, we actually have to have, you know, the way to get to the minerals so we can actually get them out of the earth and stuff like that. And that's even true if you believe in the carbon offsets, Michael. I, I tell folks uh, it's hard to tell the environmentalists that you're going to cut all the trees down when you don't even have a road to get to the trees, right? So right, exactly. So the constitutional component of it, because again, we the reason why I ask is we've seen in the past where some legislative bodies have passed a spending cap in statute at the early part of the session, and by the end of the session, they've already broken their own cap. And the legislature yeah. obviously, you know, has very little respect for the statute. I mean, they've been ignoring the PFD statute and the 90-day session statute and everything else. So whatever has to go in there has to have the has to have the backing, the chutzpah, the teeth of being a constitutional component that they can't ignore. Does your bill mm -hmm. do that? Does it put that into effect? Yeah, there is a constitutional limit uh, established uh, indexing it from, um, again, population inflation to um, a private sector, five-year rolling average of private sector GDP performance, right? So that's the, that's the hard cap, you know. Um, obviously, that's a super high vote threshold. But uh, I tell folks, uh, you know, you just make the argument, you, you fight the, the, the good fight and, you know, you allow kind of the votes to fall where they may. That makes sense. Well, yeah, you know? we've got to do that. I mean, we you know, we've got to stop avoiding it uh, just because it might not pass. We have to have that open conversation and we have to explain why it needs to be in the Constitution, which I mean, I just made the argument for it. I mean, they have ignored statute time after time after time. If you put in just a spending cap that is strictly statutory, there'll be something where the votes come in and say, well, no, we're just going to ignore that because that just doesn't matter right now. We need something that puts the rails on the side. And like you said, I love the five-year rolling average of the GDP. My original suggestion had been a five-year rolling average of revenues, uh, of past revenues, to give you an idea where we needed to go from there. But, I mean, I, I think that that makes the most sense instead of these pie-in-the-sky budgetary processes that, that to me – have never made any sense. Yeah, and keep in mind, um, so kind of what I tell my Democrat friends in the building, Michael, too, is, um, hey, you know, if you're growing the private sector, if you have a robust private sector economy with high GDP growth, um, and you're looking at adding more liabilities to government, and if you're looking at new taxes, uh, a more robust private sector allows you to do all those things more efficiently, right? So I don't really subscribe to that type of stuff, but again, my argument to my friends is, hey, you really want to get on board and private sector growth, because if you need more avenues to tax people, that's the best way to get it. Right? Sure. Yeah. You want the economy to be booming. So if you do put taxes, you make more money. Right. That's the that's exactly. the, that's yeah. the argument to the that's the argument to those on the left, the progressives that are more inclined to generate new revenue with taxes. What's the response been uh, quickly here, Will, of your bill so far? What uh, what kind of response are you getting? 
Oh, I think it's um, so a lot of it's good. Some of it's mixed. You know, a lot of folks are, um, you know, some of them are taking the approach from the 2021 uh, fiscal working group talking about, uh, you know, kind of simultaneous, instantaneous reform. And uh, I don't oppose those types of things, Michael. I just say, hey, you know, I'm one guy and 40 in the House and 20 in the Senate. And uh, I, I, I can't do everything because I'm new, you know, right, so right. if other people want to propose other ideas, um, more power to them. I say, I, uh, I just haven't seen any other bills yet. Right. Right. So, well, there's I mean, only, I think there's seven components to the fiscal policy working group. And of course their unanimous argument was they all have to be done together. Well, you've got one. Now you just need to find six other legislators to get the six other pieces. Right. I mean, and, it, and yeah. that would be ideal if we could do it that way. Yeah, and I mean, I, I, I'm pretty busy right now, again, um, you know, big trying to get my head around the very large kind of operating budgets and trying to protect the state from unneedless uh, financial risk, you know, so right. I don't really foresee myself carrying a ton of bills because I wouldn't do a very good job because I, quite frankly, don't have the time to carry a ton of yeah, bills. Yeah, exactly. Will Stapp, House District Rep for District 32. Uh, Will, thanks for coming on board today. appreciate uh, your thoughtful commentary. Uh, thank you, Michael. All right, hold the line for just a second. Folks, we're out of time tomorrow. Brad Keithley, Chris Story, The Michael Duke Show. Be kind, love one another, live well. Will, I got to say that I'm uh, pleasantly surprised and impressed with, uh, you know, what you've come up with down there and your answers. And uh, I hope that you'll continue to give that same thoughtful analysis to uh, everything that comes across your desk. Um, I love your point about the fact that you're only one guy because we've criticized that on this show where, what, there's only the spending cap bill? Shouldn't we have this and this and this? Not that we were trying to say that you should put it all out, but you're right. We should be encouraging your fellow legislators that if we're going to follow the fiscal work, uh, fiscal policy working group plan, which the Kathy Tilton has said that that's what they want to use as a blueprint, Ben Carpenter's talked about it, that we need six other legislators to each take a component of that plan and then put it together. And maybe you could create an omnibus bill at the end or whatever with all the different pieces of legislation for a final bill. But, I mean, congratulations to you on at least tackling the uh, the spending portion of it. Uh, I want to give you a chance to, uh, you know, the last bite at the apple, so to speak, last minute here or two, anything else you want to finish up with, I'll give you the floor here. Oh, you know, um, not really. I mean, always a pleasure to be on and kind of chat with folks and um, always try to articulate well and treat people well and kind of wrap your head around ways that you can try to kind of save money. And then maybe other people will spend it all, but uh, at least I get to go <laughs> home and tell my constituents that, hey, I, I actually got to find some money to save down here. Right. I did my best. I did my best. I tried to do my part. Uh, and that's the problem. That's why I would I would really never like to be a legislator because you you know you can do what you can do but you got to try and wrangle fifty nine other cats into the same sack and it's not uh, it's not going to be easy that's for sure. All right, well, Will Stapp, thank you, sir, for coming on board. Uh, good luck, and we'll uh, we'll talk with you again soon. Okay. Yep. Thanks, Michael. Appreciate you coming on and being part of it today. All right, folks, uh, we are out of time for today. We got. Uh, we got more coming up. We're going to uh, continue tomorrow with Brad Keithley, Chris Story. I appreciate uh, you guys being part of it today. Don't forget to like and share. Don't forget to like and follow our YouTube channel. Subscribe and ring the bell. 
We'll see you guys tomorrow. Have a great day. shed our terrestrial radio skin and now we are slimy lizard internet people it's the michael duke show